It's Pi Augustine, your Division One candidate for Ipswich. My plan is for a community that is vibrant and attracts world investment, a community that is connected with the state-of-the-art transport system, a community that cares for our people and environment at a time of need. Division One needs a councillor that has the energy and motivation to get things done. A community champion. Find out more about me on my Facebook page, Pi Augustine for Division One. This ad was approved by Pi Augustine candidate. Ipswich deserves strong and stable leadership you know you can trust. I'm Mayor Teresa Harding, and as your Mayor, Ipswich is once again a city that businesses are proud to invest in and families love to call home. To keep our city moving forward, I'm committed to reducing cost of living pressures, expanding our road and transport networks, delivering more for our suburbs, and boosting investment in grassroots sports in our community. So vote one Teresa Harding for Mayor for sustainable growth for Ipswich. Authorised by T Harding, 264 South Station Road, Raceview. Coming up, shortcomings exposed for protecting heritage buildings in Ipswich. Also during the November meeting of the Growth Infrastructure and Waste Committee, councillors heard about Indigenous cultural sensitivities around proposed development at Deebing Heights. And it's time to enter Ipswich City Council's annual Christmas Lights Competition. It's Wednesday, November 16, 2022, and I'm Alan Roebuck. Welcome to Ipswich Today which acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which it is produced and pays respects to elders past, present and emerging. This podcast is supported by Kinetics, people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. Any talk of removing heritage buildings in Ipswich always evokes an emotional response. During November's Growth, Infrastructure and Waste Committee, councillors received a report which will help draft the new Ipswich planning scheme. The recent approval to remove Carroll House at Goodner and replace it with a KFC, some would say exposed shortcomings in the existing planning scheme and the ongoing issues at Deebing Heights brought into sharp focus Indigenous sensitivities surrounding broader development in that area. At this month's committee meeting, Councillor Marnie Doyle put this question to Senior Council Officer Brett Davey. So firstly, in relation to the uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait um, Islander heritage places under option five, can I just clarify, um, I, I note under the 2016 Planning Act, it is actually a requirement um, that, the, that the schemes do now identify um, and, um, you know, recognise, protect and promote the knowledge and, and culture of Aboriginal um, people um, and their connection to the land. Um, our planning scheme obviously predates 2016. Um, however, we have had some amendments over the years. Do any of our amendments uh, speak to or address provisions around um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultural heritage places? Um, with the current scheme, not specifically. Uh, the benefit of the current scheme though is there was um, effort made to recognise um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander places in the heritage registers or the, sh the schedules of the scheme. So there is some protection afforded there. So by default, um, in a way we'd comply with those provisions. Certainly with the new scheme, we need to further those. Mm -hmm. Um, provisions to make sure that the scheme does comply with the legislation and recognise, most importantly, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander interests. Um, there is still some work to be done there, though, 
And um, I feel that in that space, we do need to make some considered effort with a future amendment of the draft scheme um, to actually properly engage with um, the native title organisations and um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people to understand the values that we want to incorporate into the scheme mm. and maybe get a better understanding of um, assets and sites that are of significance because I understand there have been previous efforts made to identify further sites for the scheme, but that hasn't been successful. But again, it hasn't been addressed for quite a long time in a considered way. And now we have a new Indigenous Accord. Um, there's a lot of work on building a relationship with council and those those groups. Um, I think the time is coming for us to spend some, some effort on that. Councillor Doyle asked Brett Davey, was it feasible to make amendments to the current planning scheme? Uh, I would suggest that to do an amendment to the current scheme wouldn't bring controls in too much faster than actually doing a considered um, engagement program with the new scheme. Um, the other benefit we have at the moment is if we move through to um, engagement phase on the current draft planning scheme, there is an opportunity for these um, issues to be further explored and submissions made by the community on um, elements that may be omitted or improvements that can be further made. Um, we could, of course, fund a you know an exercise to amend the scheme um, but i would estimate you're talking probably to do it properly in the order of one to two years mm -hmm. um, for this type of exercise so theoretically that doesn't come in until you know 24 uh, 2024 uh, planning scheme comes into 2024 as well we then have a new scheme that doesn't deal with the matters in the same way that an amended current scheme would. Mm -hmm. So I would suggest you are better off uh, for longevity and to do it properly to um, schedule it with the new scheme. In what amounted to detailed questioning, Councillor Doyle also raised the issue of protecting heritage buildings. I just want to clarify the final paragraph. Uh, you say it's really important to note that there is no immediate way to protect a building from demolition or removal if it is not already protected in a planning policy or by legislation. If, if we were to, under our existing scheme, add a property to Schedule 2 or 3, is that suggesting we can't or that it, there's no retrospective um, yes. protection? So um, there are two scenarios at play. So if you've got a property that's of significance but it's not listed in any register, whether it's state or local, there really isn't an easy way to protect it quickly. Um, to, do, to protect that property, you would need to um, do a temporary local planning instrument, which would take some time, uh, and then that would bring it into a Schedule 2 or a Schedule 3 and offer it some protection. You would take however long it would take to actually get that um, temporary local planning instrument in place, and then uh, in that time it could have been demolished if there was a you know, a willing party to remove that property before we got the controls in place. If it's already in a register, then we, our powers are stronger. Mm. Um, there are um, provisions under the Heritage Act, for example, to allow councils to go and take action and give direction notices to improve properties, but it doesn't necessarily prevent that, um, you know, neglect or even it doesn't necessarily prevent the demolition of that property. It gives us actions to be able to take if those properties are um, wantonly demolished without seeking approvals. Mm. Um, and so my next um, question was around demolition by neglect, which is um, the concept known 
um, whereby um, an owner of a property um, intentionally or, or not neglects the property. Um, we see a lot of uh, senior residents, I guess, uh, the home falls into disrepair and they don't have the financial means um, to undertake the required repairs, but very separately to that, um, I'd like to think it doesn't happen often, but, but there are uh, um, examples of where um, it's, it's intentionally done potentially by a developer. Um, and when we think about um, what protection, what levers we can pull, I know at both state and local level, we, we have our planning act, our planning scheme and our Queensland heritage legislation, but that only takes us so far. We are relying to a certain extent on the owners of the property to also do the right thing. But if we turn our mind to the levers we can pull, I am aware um, several years ago, um, the ability for a local government to issue a notice of maintenance or repair um, amendments were made. Do we, is, is that correct? Um, and and ca do we do that here at Ipswich City Council? Have we done that? What does that look like? Yeah, there were amendments made to the Heritage Act to afford similar powers to councils as is afforded to the state in being able to give a, a direction notice essentially to an owner and suggest they need to do um, rectification works to a, a premises. Uh, to my knowledge, we've never used those provisions. Um, I'm certain it's been discussed um, internally and um, thinking it through, um, certainly it's an op option that's available to us. I don't think it's very frequently used at a state level either. Um, you're right, it's most of the properties and the stock we have are privately owned and so in the circumstances that you would use that, you're issuing a notice to a property owner that may or may not have the capacity to address those issues. Mm. And then you've got to ask yourself the question, once you start down that path, how far do you pursue that? Do you continue to the point of taking legal action against the property owner for not maintaining their property appropriately? So we spend quite a bit of time um, in a reactive way with our Heritage Advisor program to be able to help people understand some of the opportunities that arise from owning character properties and their ability to maintain them. Um, but we are um, mindful that not everyone has the cap capacity to do it or the capability. People don't understand when they buy a character home that the, the beauty of it requires that constant vigilance. And if they're unaware and, and they're not handy themselves, they'll often um, inadvertently do things that damage the property. It's beginning to look like and feel like Christmas. The Ipswich Christmas Lights competition is underway. Free entries for the competition close November 28 and entrants can win a share of over $8,000 worth of cash and prizes. Categories include Best Residential, Best Business or Organisation, Best Street, People's Choice and Best New Entry. For tips and tricks for making your own suburban light wonderland, as well as more information about the competition, visit christmasinipswich.com.au. Online voting will be open between December 1 and 5. There'll also be a full list of addresses you can vote for soon on christmasinipswich.com.au. And the giant Christmas tree in Darcy Doyle Place is a must-see when its lights are switched on at 6.45pm on Friday, November 25. And as usual, a reminder to look for handy links in the show notes. Ipswich Today is supported by Kinetics. 
people-powered web hosting trusted by Australian businesses since 1999. This podcast is also listener-supported. Please make a once-only gift or regular donation to help keep it online. Just go to ipswitchtoday.com.au and click the Donate button on the homepage to make a payment through PayPal. Follow and stream this podcast from your favourite app, including iHeartRadio and Amazon Music. Or play Ipswich Today on smart speakers. Music is supplied by Purple Planet Music. This is Alan Roebuck. Thank you for listening. From legendary locals we all know to people you should get to know. Follow Ipswich Today on your favourite app and never miss an episode or go to ipswichtoday.com.au.